Today, I'm going. I'm starting a series titled "Freedom from Fear." Freedom from fear. So there are three scriptures I want you to um, take note of and meditate in your own spare time. First one is Second Timothy chapter one verse seven, First uh, John four sixteen to eighteen, and Hebrews two fourteen to fifteen. I'll take that again. Second Timothy one to one seven, First uh, John four sixteen to eighteen. And Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 to 15. Amen. Talking about fear, you know, I I felt in my heart last week the Lord wants us, wants me to start talking about this. You know, um, I, I think he, he was able to get my attention with uh, how fear kind of hit my heart about something going on at some point in time. And I questioned that fear. I was like, no, this is not, this is not right. And I've also been a victim of fear, fear in the sense that from childhood, um, because I, I lived in an environment where we are always afraid, you know, th- that environment opened the door for the enemy to plant fear into my heart. And I'll say over 20 about 20 years, over 20 years of my life was a struggle with fear, fear of nothing. You know, but there's always this fear of terror or danger or something that could happen, but it never happened. I never saw those things. So fear for many years robbed me of the peace and the joy that God has given to me in Christ Jesus, hindered me from taking the steps I hope to take. So the thing is this, one of the ways fear works is, if fear can hold you captive or in bondage in one area of your life, say for instance, fear of um, a failed marriage or fear of a failed health or fear of failure in one area or the other, if the enemy can hold you in bondage, in fear in that area, in one area, and you don't deal with it, it can spiral into other areas of your life such that most part of your life is ruled by fear, governed by fear, and you're not able to walk in the freedom that God wants you to walk in. So my own fear, my own journey with fear started as a fear of my father because my father was, I'm going to be, I have to be born again this morning and be very careful with the choice of my choice of words. My father was a terror in the house. He was a terror. And I say that life today and I respect my father. I'm not trying to talk down my father, but I'm trying to describe to you what was happening in the home. It was a terror. You know, when it comes in, everybody's afraid. It will beat every beatable. You know, there, uh, there was once, it once beat me that I, 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 I believe I died because I was unconscious. And um, it was after a few seconds, a few minutes after I was, after it beat me, you know, so badly because I could hear my mom screaming and shouting, kill him, hmm? kill him. And she was, she wasn't saying, telling my dad to kill me. It was like, she was like, because she couldn't rescue me. Right. She was like, you know, beat him till he dies and see what happens to you. She, because it was too, it was beating me too badly. I passed out. Then I came back to my senses and then I came back alive. That's what, because I passed out. So there was always fear in the house. You know, if you see his incoming, you mean you better hide you mean you know it was so bad that after my mom had to move out of the home you know because of people's advice that you know move out of this house this man will kill you one day right if you're not careful um you know you know 
many of us in, in, in Christendom, and I'm not talking that to my mom right now, but I'm talking, I, mean, I think now I want to address people who are advising her. Some people were giving her bad advice. You know, many people in Africa whose sister or friend may be going through domestic abuse or violence in the home, we say to the woman, you know, endure, bear it. That's how men are. You know, you do this because of your children. I'll say to you that advice is demonic. Regardless of who, who is telling you, I know this will offend a lot of people and I don't give a rip this morning to be honest with you, right? Regardless of who is talking to you, whether your mother, your father, your sister, your auntie, if you are in a kind of abusive relationship and they're telling you to bear because of your children, see, the advice they are giving you is from the devil. I'm not saying the person is the devil, but the advice they are giving you is from the devil because the devil wants to kill you who is... The orchestrator of the mess you are in is giving people advice to keep you in that place so that they can take you out. So my mom eventually was able to summon the courage and um, to leave the house because my dad has been has given her deadlines to leave the house, but she will not leave, you know, as husband, you know, because of the children and kind of thing. But she left. I think she left too late because my attention was leaving. Fear had already become had a strong word in my heart. I was always scared. And this ran my life for over 20 years. There's still a little bit of fear there, here and there in my heart, but which I had to counter. But until I learned how to counter the fear, I was constantly afraid. So if you are living in a, if you are in an abusive relationship and you have kids, you might be mindful of what harm that is doing to your children. You know, I've seen women, I've met single mothers, uh, not single, but like I've met married women you know, whom I can tell how the I can pre, I can pick the hostility of the of the of the woman's husband or the father of the children from the way the children relate with me. There's fear, there's unsettlement. They will not come close. And then, by the time you begin to you get deep into get into it to start kind of finding out what's going on in the home, you realize that there's so much torment and fear in the heart of the children, and that's how they see every man. And likewise, every, a lot of women today uh, and are dysfunctional in their marriage because what they saw in their father, the image of their father, you know, how he abused their mom is what they have, is the image they're projecting on their husband. And they are misbehaving around their husband, not knowing the, that the, 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 the conflict in the marriage today is as a result of the image they are projecting on their husband. And they are treating their husband in a way they expect their, they expect should treat them because of how they saw their father treat their mom. Amen. I feel the Lord speaking to people this morning. And you know, when people, and this is uh, this is my own pastoral counselor, right? When people tell me they are going through abuse in their marriage, I kind of thought, or if I see signs that they're going through abuse in their marriage, one or two people can can testify. The first thing that I start thinking of is how do we train the woman or empower the woman? Uh, because one of the reasons why some women remain in an abusive marriage relationship today is because they cannot fend for themselves. They cannot look after themselves. They cannot look after the kids. Right, but the thing is, that why do you want to, why should you remain in that marriage, lose your life, and your children are scattered all over the street? Can I say something? In as much I'm not an advocate of this, um, some, some demonic woman, empower, woman empowerment uh, movement who are trying to counter, you know, some things because of uh, the dominant culture of men in every society. Please, please carefully listen to me. I'm going to clarify this. So don't jump off until I finish this, please. If you want, if you are listening to me or watching me. Now, there's a movement out there who are for 
women, women empowerment, women this, women that. Uh, but those movements, what they do to women is they tell that they give the women a false identity of themselves, making them to see themselves like victims of um, of manipulation manipulation of the male culture and a victim of the of domineering male culture in a society and workplaces and instill revenge in their heart. So I am for women empowerment and I'm saying to you as a pastor, once I see signs of abuse in a marriage or a man taking advantage of his wife kind of thing, I start thinking, how do we train this man? What do you have? What skill set do you have? You know, like there's any way we can get you into business, train you to be in business and things like that. Because if this man leaves the home or this man, or you have to leave this home, if this abuse does not stop or this man does not go for counseling, we have to train you and empower you that you can look after yourself. Right, so that's where I stand for women empowerment. I thank you for my mom, who is quite industrious, and that's how she's able to send myself and my younger ones to school. You know, after she left, it wasn't an easy journey. It was tough. It was hard. I was painting the picture of what it looked like to someone, and they were they were surprised that I had that kind of very humble um, background. It was very bad. But many women will not leave their home because, you know, they've not trained themselves. So I'm saying to you, so in as much as I'm not expecting that people, people's marriage will fail or they will have issues, I am a strong advocate that women must be empowered. Women must be able to, you know, do their stuff. You know, I'm working as hard as possible to ensure that, you know, I look after my family, I provide for them. But even if my wife would not have to do any work at all because I'm very rich and prosperous, amen, that's where I am, right? Yet I still want her to be able to, train ourselves, do something, you know, you know, be able to make money for ourselves and stuff like that. We don't need the money, we, we don't need the money, we may, or we may not need the money to do anything in the house, but she can fend for herself. I'm not saying I'm going to die young kind of thing, but it's just my own, my own, my own stand that every woman must be empowered. However, I am not an advocate of the woman empowerment movement that makes women want to revenge and shout and kick down men and dominate the male male figure. See, the thing is, is if a culture makes women more dominant, or that's the way I'm, I'm trying to explain this, is my Lord help me. If there's a culture that, um, they have this kind of slangs that they use, I can't remember them right now, right? But uh, let me just quickly wrap this up so I can get continue my message. If you live in a society where it's a kind of male domineering culture, right? Uh, that culture, to a very much extent is demonic because they see the man to be superior to the woman. Now, the woman is not superior to the woman, neither is the woman superior to the man. So in the world, there may be superiority of one gender over the other, but in the faith, in the Christendom, the woman is not superior to the man, neither is the man superior to the woman. They are all joint heirs with Christ. Amen. So this is where I stand as a believer, this is where I stand as a pastor, and that is where every believer should stand. Right, so the woman is not superior to the man, the man is not superior to the woman. However, in the home, in the marriage, God has designed that the man should be the head. And the head in the sense that not to control and manipulate or to throw down the woman, but to support the woman, to grow the woman, to nurture the woman, to help the woman become who God has called her to be. Am I making any sense? Have I clarified that enough? Or should I, should I, should I summarize this? Right. So in the culture, in any society, the woman is not superior to the man. The man is not superior to the woman. However, in the home, God has designed that the man should be the head, the leader, who provides leadership for the home, spiritual leadership, protection for the home. And that does not even make the man superior to the woman because both of them, according to the word of God, they are joint heirs. They are partners in Christ Jesus. And the Bible says that they should honor one another. They should respect one another. Amen. So, okay, let me stop that before we get into marriage class. So, 
um, having had a word of knowledge for someone in terms of marriage or if you're struggling in your in an abusive relationship or abusive marriage, uh, what things I've shared with you are things I feel the Lord wants me to say with you, to say to you this morning. I've also tried to call out the genesis of the fear in my life. So let's quickly d- define what fear is. Now, according to the dictionary, uh, fear is an unpleasant emotion caused by the threat of danger, pain, or harm. An, unple- an unpleasant emotion. Many of you guys know that you know fear is not pleasant. Fear makes you unstable. But fear, that emotion of fear, is always is it, always in anticipation of harm happening to you or danger coming around you. Right. Other synonyms of fear are you know is to be frightened, scared, terrified. Fearful, you know, petrified, nervous. So some say I'm just being nervous. Yeah, not just being nervous. You're afraid. <laughs> yeah. But can I call you? Can I say something also to also qualify my definitions here. Say to feel afraid is different from to be afraid. To feel fear is different from being afraid. To be afraid is a verb. It means to yield to fear. So don't feel like. I'm trying to condemn you if you have struggles with fear or you fear one way or the other. I'm going to jump into the into the origin of fear very soon, right? So I'm not trying to condemn anyone if they have for struggling with fear. I've ch- I've shared with you my own um, struggle with fear and how it came about. Um, so I'm not trying to condemn anyone. So, but I'm trying to qualify here that you know to feel fear is is different from being afraid. You know when the angel appeared to Mary the mother of Jesus, and told her about the fact that she was going to conceive Jesus Christ. Now, the angel said to her, do not be afraid. She felt fear, said, but do not be afraid. Is that a do not be afraid or do not fear? You know, when, even when, um, in, in many instances in the Bible, when an angel appeared to a person or Jesus, you know, is, 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 you know, appears to people, tell them, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. So fear is not of God. Fear is not from God. Amen. Fear is not of God. Fear is not of, not from God. The Bible tells us that fear has torment. Fear has torment. And torment means severe f- physical or mental suffering. So I know there's a fear of the Lord. We're going to get into that. I'm going to go and get into types of fear or kinds of fear. But the torment, the, the, the fear of torment, fear of danger, fear of harm is not the kind of fear that God wants us to have. The only kind of fear that the Bible uh, commands us to have is the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord in the context is reverential, worshipful, respect, deep respect for the Lord. Now, it's important that we learn to understand, to study the Word of God, to study the Bible. Because same word in the Bible may mean different things. Just like same word in the world we live in today, a word can mean different things. It depends on the context you are using it, right? A word that may be complementary could be derogatory. You know, someone can say, you know, uh, you know, I, 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 I work with quite some, some uh, <laughs> okay, I'm trying to, I'm trying not to expose people here. So when they see me struggle like that, sometimes I don't want to ex- expose people, right? But I work with people and they'll say to you, so if, say for instance, you go into a meeting, right, with them and then you didn't do well in the meeting, right? So they'll come back to you and say, you know, that was a very good meeting. So 
they said that was a very good meeting, right? But they could be saying to you that that was a very bad meeting. And they, they, are, they, are, they could also be sincere to say it was a good meeting. So you get to listen to, even though you had good, be listen, listen carefully what, what tone and what body language is coming without very good. Because they could be saying to you, 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 you just wasted our time in that place. Or they could say, you know, well done for the good job you do. So one, one word, same word can mean different things in different instances in different settings. So when we say the word fear in the Bible, Look at what the what, <laughs> check out for what the Bible said. In a way, some people were afraid of the Lord, right? Uh, maybe because in the time of Moses, um, sometimes there's a fear of danger because they could see a manifestation of the of the of the judgment of God on sin, on evil, right? So there's a lot of so the word fear is used in many contexts in the Bible, but when it comes to fearing the Lord, as as the Bible commands us, is to respect the Lord, is to honor the Lord, and we're going to get into that. Now, so let's read the book of us, uh, let's read 2 Timothy 1.7, and I'm going to be reading from New King James, 2 Timothy 1.7. It says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love, and of a sound mind. You know, some people say fear is a spirit. Yes, to some extent, I agree. Right, but when Paul was talking here, he was saying that there's a spirit that God has given to us, and that spirit is not a spirit to make us timid. It's not a spirit to make us feel afraid. But it's a spirit of power, of love, and of sound mind. If we want to really counter fear in our life, right, I think we need to know what spirit God has given to us. That like He has given us the spirit of love, the spirit of power, and the spirit of a sound mind. You know, many of many of us, most of the time, we feel powerless, we feel helpless. But if you can understand that the spirit of God dwelling on the inside of you is the resurrection power of God, if you can really see what it actually means, what that spirit really is able to do in you and do for you, you will be able to overcome fear to a very much extent. Amen. And um, it, it's to a very much extent. The reason why we are afraid is because we do not know how much God loves us. And that's why the Bible tells us in the book of, uh, let's go there, 1 John 4, 16 to 8, 18. 1 John 4, 16 to 18. Before I read that, I feel in my heart the Lord saying to, I've been trying to avoid it, to leave the aside so that I can carry on. But I feel in my heart the Lord is saying to someone that if you continue to keep yourself in an atmosphere or environment of fear, it could become a stronghold in your heart, just the way it was in my own life. So whether you are married or single, whatever you're exposing yourself to, a constant exposure to fear, it might even be in the news, right? It could become a stronghold in your life that you are driven by fear instead of driven by faith or driven by the love of God. Amen. Praise God. So first Corinthians, sorry, first John 4, 16 to 18. I'm reading the New King James Version. It says, And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected. Love has been perfected among us in this that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Now listen to this, verse 18. There's no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. So God is not interested or is not in the business of tormenting his children. Don't forget we define torment as a mental suffering, mental torture, mental struggle. 
Fear, fear tortures us emotionally in our mind, in our soul. That's not the will of God for us. So if the Bible is telling us to fear the Lord, could they have been telling us to have a mental torture for the Lord? Emotional struggle in serving God? That's not correct. So that's why we must learn to understand the word of God in context or understand how certain words are used in context in the Bible. And the Bible is telling us here that God does not want us to to experience mental torture, emotional torture. The Bible tells us there that perfect love casts out fear. So we need to really understand the love of God, the perfect love of God. How, how high, how deep, how wide, how long the love of God is. Amen. Praise the Lord. So let's look at the common types of fear. You know, fear, uh, a few examples I got down here. Uh, fear of a loss of a job. Fear of death or fear of the death of a loved one, you know, fear of losing your marriage. You know, a number of people who are going through abuse, intense abuse in their marriage, either emotional, physical abuse in their marriage, who knows that they are losing their life in the marriage are not even considering separation. Because when I deal with some very intense situation of um, abuse in a marriage, the first thing I advocate is separation. Woman, Let's find you a place to go and camp. Either your mother's place, your parents' place, or your friend's place. You need to go for a week or two. And the man, you know, or the man leaves the house and then go and find somewhere. And then we look at where both of them are and then we look at how to get them help. Um, even in, in my life, in my ministry life, right, um, we've had very little success when there's intense abuse going on in the home and the both parties are staying under the same roof. Because after you cancel them, they go back home. The one that has been demonically manipulated, demonically used, carries on with the activity. Amen. So it's only very few, in very few instances that we actually have good success in dealing in helping marriages or helping couples who are going through, um, you know, severe abuse, whereby both parties stay under the room, under the same roof. So, uh, but so then he says, once I would like somebody to bear in mind, and this is the reason why I'm pausing here. If your marriage fails, that does not mean you have failed in life. It's a wicked and carnal society and church that makes you to equate your marital success to your success in life. I repeat, it's a carnal, ungodly, and with all due respect, unintelligent Christian body that equates your marital success to your uh, to your success in life. Because many people did not marry on the right grounds. They did not marry, they were misled. Some were manipulated or pressed into a marriage or forced into a marriage. And now they then see that marriage as a ticket to heaven. Is it those ministries, with all the respect, who believe that if you if you leave your husband who who, who who has probably shot you twice and you've ex you escaped the bullet, somebody says that intense. Yes, I saw one on TV not too long ago. The man shot the woman six times. Shot the woman six times. So you're now saying that the woman should remain in the marriage. The devil is a liar. So those ministries, with all due respect, who believe that the person's marriage is a ticket to heaven are operating under the demonic manipulation. I'm not joking. I mean, I mean I'm, not, I'm not just picking. I mean everything I'm saying this morning, and that's why I'm kind of slow this morning too, so that you can hear clearly what I'm saying. I'm not passionate or angry or kind of thing. 
I know what I'm talking about. I'm choosing my words carefully. Any ministry, I repeat, any ministry who considers a person's marriage as a ticket to heaven have been deceived and are under demonic influence without your respect. So if you belong to such ministry and you're watching me, you, this is time for you to wake up to say, what have we believed? Have we believed, have we believed the doctrine of demons of the doctrine of God? Because tell me, if your marriage was not a ticket to, to Christ, so how will your marriage, I repeat, if your marriage was, was not in any way in the path of salvation, so how does marriage then become a ticket to heaven? The devil is a liar. Like one man of God would say, God punish that devil. Amen. So the fact that your marriage failed, which most of the time is not because of what you have done, but because of the other party who have given themselves to the devil, does not mean that you have failed in life. Now the Bible tells us that there's no marriage in heaven. Then we will not marry in heaven. So what does not exist in heaven, how it becomes your ticket to heaven, I don't understand. God punish that devil, I repeat. Amen. So another fear is a fear of economic collapse, you know. What if there's a recession and the, the media is very skewed and scaring you with all manner of news, right? Your pension, all manner of fear exists out there. And Lord was showing me how the devil is using, through the media, and people are using fear as a weapon to keep many people captive. You know, I used to have a job. Uh, you know, I was offered a job at some point. See, this is just foundation. We're, I'm still laying the foundation for all this for this journey. I was offered a job at some point and uh, the job was selling insurance. So I went for the training and the training went like this, you know, it's about putting fear in people so that they can buy and the job was paying a lot. I wasn't a pastor then and I was like, I, but I was a preacher of the gospel and I, and I couldn't just imagine myself visiting someone's family and pour as much fear inside of them so that they can buy insurance. Do you know I can do it? <laughs> because I could be, I'm a kind of inspirational speaker to some, in a sense. So I know how I can use words to steer people into action and I know how to use words in my mind, in the, ungodly, in the kind of mind to put fear in people. I've, I came from a religious background. I'm going to get there. Uh, the first kind of fear we're going to be talking about is relig uh, religious fear. I'm going to come into that. Just go with me. Let's, let, let me discharge as much as God wants me to discharge with and uh, share with you guys this morning. And then we start looking at the types of fear one after the other and treat this thing and, and trash them and expose the enemy and the lie of the enemy. Amen. So I can use words to inspire people and use words to bring people down. Everyone can do that. Right? And that's why the Bible tells us in the book of First Corinthians 13 that, you know, love uh, does not, like me, I'm putting many verses and lines together. Love does not harm its neighbor, does not harm other people. And one of the ways you can harm people is by using your words as a weapon to throw them down, to build them up. So when you use your words as a weapon of destruction, you bring people down. When your words are weapon of, of, um, of construction, you build people up. Amen. Uh, the, 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 the media, and uh, mainstream, me, mainstream media and the news, they know how powerful words are 
And that's why most of the news you'll find on YouTube, on newspapers are negative and they'll coin it in a way that you can be afraid. Fear seems to be something that sells, so they have to put fear in your heart. Right, so you hear things like this is the worst recession that's ever been and you get to find that you realize that there's been worst of the worst and this, this the current recession is not any way close. You know how many doom that they prophesied about the economic collapse before COVID kind of thing? Did it happen? You know, I mean, you know how people were going to the into the supermarket and they were and they were they were fighting over food. What an embarrassment! Any Christian who went to fight in the food store, right, for food or for for toilet paper, that's the most ridiculous one, right? Did uh, uh, okay? Let me be very nice this morning and not be. Like, let me just let me just be nice because uh, uh, let's put it this way: they did not know. I get them. the way people were fighting for food and for toiletries in the supermarket, even caught when they were even caught on camera, is so disgraceful and so embarrassing. So the question is, where do we put our faith? Now, what happens is the devil, as you know, the, the media working with the devil, has put strong words through your TVs and your smart apps, and you have yielded the fear, and you have gone to embarrass the body of Christ in the superstore. The Lord has forgiven you of your sin if you if you actually ever did the fight. Amen. So fear of economic collapse. People see all man now stop. But do you know that the Lord is our shepherd? Can you see my can you see my t-shirt? Right. It's a fearless Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Okay. Okay, they said my the mic is broken. So let me stand step step, uh, step aside a little bit so they can see my t-shirt. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm actually gonna move this way. I should move the mic. All right. Yeah. Good. All right, so I'm being directed by <laughs> by the one in the house. The Lord is my shepherd. I do not want. You know, I, I like how another version renders it. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything that I need. So when we walk in fear, it seems like our highs has been removed from the promises of God. And this is not talking down people maybe struggling with fear because I, I first started by sharing with you how for over 20 years I struggled with fear, fear of terror and there was no particular terror in my mind but because I lived in an environment where there was a man who was acting like a terror, you know, fear got a chance into my heart and conditioned the way I think and feel and I live my life. Amen. So, the one of the fears that is plaguing the world right now in the midst of this um, social media craze is a fear of rejection naturally we have fear, we struggle with fear of rejection because we just want people to be able to approve us to say nice things about us nobody likes people to say something nasty about them but the way the media have gone about it somebody because people can give all kind of negative um, comment on your timeline and reject you so and because it's it's become a kind of weapon that people use against people. So many of us, you know, there's this fear of whether people will reject you or not. I get to me. You, you post a picture on uh, on social media, you're thinking how many likes you have. So if you don't have much likes, you, you begin to panic, you begin to feel uncomfortable, like people don't like you. We need to work on these things. At some point too, at some point, I also begin to feel in that, feel that way too. And I'm like, I don't understand, where is that coming from? I did my father, I did, I, I did, my, I did my God. Are you people my God? Uh, do they pay my bills? Like, I was like, what is this? So I'm trying to say to you here that if you are struggling with fear of rejection on based on that's related to social media, I felt it too. I know how it feels and I had to fight it and I'm still fighting it. And sometimes my mind, we just want me to put something on social media. Uh, and I'm like, for what? For what's the reason is that? Uh, does it look like the gospel kind of thing? Okay, so for me to get likes. No, I ain't doing that. 
Amen. So the media has worked so much in a certain way whereby a lot of people are concerned about likes, about views. And I don't think we've handled these things properly because we are not very goal-oriented. I mean, in terms of fulfilling purpose, we have attached our sense of significance to people's reactions. And we need to work on this because the enemy is using this as a weapon to destroy many people and hold many people captive. And many people are not free to become who they are. Many people cannot even speak. You know, many many girls are comparing their body with another person who may have actually used uh, Photoshop or something to edit their body. Friends, I mean, what are we thinking? I mean, what's going on in our life? When as people who do not know God or people who do not follow God or people who do not believe in Jesus Christ, when have we made them a judge of our identity or what we truly look like? This is not right. Something must have deceived us into this and we need to deliver ourselves from this. Amen. So like we saw in the life of brother Job in the book of Job chapter 3, he said, what he feared most has finally come upon him. Job was, was always afraid that his children may have made a mistake. They may have caused God in their heart. And we saw what that fear did in his life. He opened the door for the devil to come into his life and destroy him. And Job in his own mind thought the Lord gave him children and, 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 and take it. And it bothers me how big ministries, well-respected men of God, I feel, I feel like mentioning the name of one of them, but because I don't expose ministries and I, don't, I just mind my business. Right. But it's, it's, it's so it's so sad and so so depressing. I'm not depressed, but so depressing to see a major ministry, a pastor, you know, pastors of congregation of thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands believe that the Lord give it and the Lord take it. And when someone like me tries to show them that you know what, God does not give and take. God gives. The enemy is the one who steals. And, on, and based on the word of God, you can stand your ground against the devil who wants to steal. They begin to fight me. They turn me into their enemy. Amen. I've learned to mind my business. Um, I was speaking to a sister in church recently and uh, there was a situation that I was sharing with her and I was laughing. I was like, Pastor, you're not taking this very seriously. You know, this person can lose their life. I said, my dear, I've learned to mind my business. I will talk to this person. I will pray for them. Other than that, there's not much I can do. People will insult you. You are their friend. You are the one here trying to help them. But they will insult you. They will make you their enemy. They will gang up against you with their own enemies. I've been, I've, been, I've, been, I've been insulted several times. Even by believers who are doing something that is clearly ungodly. And they look me in the eyes and tell me to mind my business. <laughs> One an example coming to my mind. They are so blessed that I've not reached this level of confidence and reliance of God at that time because I will have in love. Because these people were leaders in the in in, in church. And they, 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 they kind of like, they are teachers of young people, but they themselves, their conduct is so ungodly. They are so blessed. I hope they are watching this message. They are so blessed that I have, I was, <laughs> oh Lord. You know, for everyday Christian, for every other Christian, I can, there are things I can overlook. But for people who claim to be leaders and you're looking me in the eyes, praise the Lord. Let's carry on. <clears throat> Fear of COVID. <laughs> so what I was actually wrote there is fear of sickness and disease, but I had to put COVID there. People have had COVID and they've been recovered from it. I know it does, it's not a good feeling. I know we had people who died of COVID and I'm not trying to under, underplay uh, the, the impact of COVID on people's health. But you as a child of God, what do you expect of God? It, it, no. Do we actually have a clue at all of the power at work on the inside of us? Do we have a clue? Do we know that we are not natural human beings anymore? 
from the day we give our life to Christ? Do we know that we belong to another kingdom? Do we have a clue of what Colossians 1.13 means? Do we even meditate on those words until they become reality on the inside of us? Amen. So as I close, I just want to quickly share with you the origin of fear. Then next week, I'll, then I'll start looking at, di- at different types of fear. But the, the kinds of fear I'm going to be treating in the next maybe three or four weeks, uh, one, re- religious fear, which is fear of God's punishment, a fear of man, we're going to spend a lot of time in the fear of man. Uh, this is when, you know, you care about what people say about you. There's so much loaded in that. And that's one of our main struggles. And I've been meditating on this since yesterday. And I see the Lord opening my eyes of, 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 to areas in my life where, I, where, where I'm subject to fear of men. When I'm, you know, subsets to the fear of men. Fear of change. Many people don't want to change. We're going to talk about that. Fear of death and fear of the Lord. So the, I'm going to categorize most of the fears that people go through under these five categories. And then we take it off from there next week. But let's quickly go and look at the origin of fear. Now, uh, just to summarize, a fear came after the fall, after the fall of mankind. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 to 10. It's interesting that when I'm dealing with situations, identity, anything, I, I always see them come from the very beginning. Amen. I, I, and God, you know, I believe God is showing me that, you know, this was not his plan originally. This, this was not his original plan for mankind. So let's look at Genesis chapter 3. I'll quickly read verse 8 to 10, the New King James Version here. Say, and they, this is after Adam and Eve had disobeyed God. I've, I've, after they had eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Excuse me. Now, listen to this. They said, And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. You know, contrary to the popular belief that when you sin, when you make mistake, when you trip, that God will depart from you. That's not true. Because when these guys sinned, when they messed up, God did not depart from there. So if you are listening to me right now, or you're watching me, and someone has said to you that God has departed from you because you sinned, or the Spirit of the Lord has departed from you because the, because the Spirit of the Lord cannot dwell in an, in an, in an unclean body. And the first question I should be asking, Lord Jesus, help me here. So let me clarify this here. So I'm not advocating sin, and I'm not advocating lawlessness and indiscipline. I've shouted this over and over, and I'll keep shouting it, right? You know, understanding the love of God does not give you the liberty or the license to sin or to be misbehaving. I'm going to cover more of that as I go forward as we progress now so contrary to popular belief or to common belief that you know god and the holy spirit cannot dwell in an in an unclean body the question is this the people telling you that god has departed from you has left you because you are now unclean the question is are they clean are they themselves clean because how do they define clean is it because they did not commit the kind of sin you committed but do they backbite do they do they, do, do they ignore people that they're supposed to look after? They shout or their husband. Have they done anything? So does that mean that God has left them? So the question is this. So when you think because you made a mess or you made a mistake that God has left you. So the question is, will he ever return to you? Because what Jesus said is this. The Holy Spirit will live in you and will abide with you forever. So if you think he left, so when do you think will he, he will come back? Maybe you are still waiting. You know, I, I, so I, this is one reason why I love the members of this church family because they're very intelligent. So, if you think the Holy Spirit leaves, so the question is, when is it coming back? Because if the Holy Spirit is not in you, you are finished. Because the Holy Spirit it was the one who carried out, who brought about your salvation, who changed you on the inside. 
the Jesus said, we are born of the water and of the spirit. The water being the word, the spirit being the spirit of God. So how a person is saved is when they receive the word of God, right? They receive the gospel and they receive the gift of faith as a result. And as they receive it, the Holy Ghost comes into their life and make them a new being. And the Bible tells us in the book of uh, Ephesians 1.13 that when you believed, after you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And 4.30, Ephesians 4.30 tells us that, see, your sealing as... Your sealing by the Holy Ghost is until the day of redemption. So until so you, the sealing of the Holy Ghost is until Jesus returns. So on that basis, the Holy Spirit will not leave, go and come. He dwells there. So the, now again, let me give you good news. The Holy Spirit is not in your physical body. It's in your spirit. And your spirit is in your body. So it seals your spirit. It does not seal your body. And that is why you and I must learn to renew our mind, to change how we think. Because the Holy Spirit is there to guide, to protect your spirit from this destruction and to preserve you until the day of redemption. But people can still go, ab- go about sinning and they will die quickly. I feel like preaching this morning. Okay, well, I'll, let me hang in there. If you have more questions, connect with us on Transformers Connect. We're going to get into that very shortly. I'm out of time now. Now, so let me quickly finish uh, this verses. Now, verse 9 says, Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. Now, the same sound of the Lord was constantly in the garden. God, the Bible says that God brought all the animals to Adam to name them, and whatever Adam called those animals was what God called them. So God was always in the garden. God was always conversing with this guy. I mean, his presence. I'm not saying God physically, because some people think that God was in the garden. He was only coming down in the cool of the day. To, 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 <laughs> Father, me this morning. I, and the Bible tells us, tells us that nobody has ever seen God. So the presence of God was there. See, I, I like how this, how the Bible, you know, clarifies things. He said he had the sound of the Lord, not that he had God coming. I get him. And said he, he said, I heard your voice in the garden. So Adam himself never saw God. Hello. Yes, that's true. And he said, I was afraid because I was naked. But until sin came in, until he sinned, he didn't have any problem with the sound of the voice of the Lord, the presence of God. And he saw how God went after him. So God is never leaving his people. We are the one who are always leaving God. I repeat, God is never leaving his people because he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And he didn't put the condition there. Even in your mess, God is there. So the question is, do you want to come back to the Father this morning or you want to remain in your condemnation? As for God, he's not moving because you were not bad at all when Jesus died. You were not good at all when Jesus died for you. So now that you trip after you're giving your life to Christ, does not make him to leave you because the love he has for you is from everlasting to everlasting. Amen. So, if you're thinking about fear, fear came after the fall of man. But God did not design any one of us to be afraid. So, if you and I can really get it that the feeling of fear, fear, maybe as a spirit, as a spirit some people say, is not of God, was not God's design for us. Our hearts were not designed to carry fear. Our body were not designed to, 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 to bear fear. If we can see fear as an enemy, that came into this world as a result of the fall of mankind, I think it will mark a good start for us from receiving our deliverance from fear because each time we can recognize fear in whatever we want to do, we can stand our ground against it instead of yielding to it. Because fear 
allowing fear, not in fear, walking with fear will not take you anywhere. It will only hold you captive.